mortgages can be a dry subject. So here's your oasis in the desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Bird to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience. Hi there, welcome to the LM Experience. It's now episode 33. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Stu. All the threes, how are you? You all right? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. All right, let's just crack on. Today, we have got Nicole Bremner. Uh, morning, Nicole. Good morning. Good morning. Now, Nicole is a director of Estate, which is a property development company. She's an author, written a book, uh, speaker, um, an all-round um, social media goddess, if you don't mind me saying. You're very, you're very active on social media, Nicole. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks for having me here. Good. So can you just give us a little bit of background? Because I think we followed each other on Twitter for a year or two. And had a yeah, you give in... me a hard time on Twitter. Well, I give everyone a hard time. Yeah, part, that's, that, that's my brand. That's what I do. <laughs> um, um, just, to, what, what, just tell me, how do you get into property development? What, what is your background? My background's banking, and I, I did that for a number of years until I had multiple children, one after the other, <laughs> and realised I couldn't go back. I was working on Goldman uh, on Wall Street, Goldman Sachs, most recently, and I felt like a part-timer working eight till six. And so I was really looking for something else to do, and I, I stumbled into property. I did a I did a flat in Clerkenwell. It was the flat that we lived in before we moved to the US for a couple of years, and it made more money than I did over a four-year period. <laughs> And working Very in banking, easy investment. exactly. So I thought, okay, this this can work. And then I did my house, loved renovating my house. I bought a derelict old vicarage in Hackney, and it was at a time when Hackney was going absolutely crazy. And I thought there must be something in this. And but I didn't realise that people like me could be property developers. I thought that was Buckley Homes and Galliard and those sorts of people. the big players out yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I knew nothing about any of it. So I got my team of builders together and just started converting what an, what I now know are HMOs. At the time, I thought they were bedsits. So <laughs> converting HMOs back into family homes in the Hackney oh, area. Okay. And what, what year was this, um, Nicole? Because Hack- Hackney has become very, very trendy um, probably the last sort of five years. Is, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, definitely. So I started back in 2010-11. Oh, okay. Just right at the end of the, well, just at the start of the credit crunch, really. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it was at the time when things were just starting to come off and people were just starting. It was all starting to recover, bit, and then yeah, as you recall, came into the market. That's right, 2012, 13, 14. It was just, uh, yeah, it really was easy. Actually, properties that were unrenovated were selling for more than renovated properties over that period. Wow, because of the potential. Because of the potential, and everyone wanted to be a property developer. Everyone was jumping in, jumping on that bandwagon, and wanting to do it because yeah. it really was easy money. And I guess as well, you were kind of going against a little bit against the curve anyway, in terms of that there were probably signs in the market at that point of a lot of people doing the opposite to what you were doing, in terms of converting larger properties into HMOs, for example. Did you find at the time then that that was something then just thought right, this is the right thing to do because of the amount of these properties that were disappearing as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and you look at just uh, you look at where Hackney is in proximity to other parts of London and to the city and Canary Wharf, and you could sell up your five million pound property in West London or your flat and move into a property for no more than one and a half million at the time. One and a half to two million. Yeah. It was just a no brainer. Mm. And so as a result, the area has really gentrified and it's really changed. It's a, a, the dynamics of school places. Everything has just completely changed over the. 10, 15 years I've been there. The, the, the thing that I saw on social media, which got my interest originally a couple of years back, is that you crowdfund a lot of your developments. Is that right? Because I, uh, I think you're probably one of the first, if not the most successful person 
at doing that. Is that right? I think so. I think there's been one larger crowdfund, but that was using corporate funds. So I don't think that's that really che- yeah, that's, yeah, that, that is yeah. cheating. No. So we've raised six point four three million, I believe, through the wow. crowd, and we're about to do another one very soon. Uh, over how many how many sort of tranches is that? Is that just in one go? Or? That was six different raises. So a million pound at least in each yeah, each, exactly. each one. So and, we started that in October two thousand sixteen. Okay, and I've got the impression that they they funded pretty quickly. They did. They funded really quickly. I think it was a victim of its own success at the time because so many people wanted to get into property. Mm-hmm. And I will say that most of our investors, we've got 170-odd investors, most of them are property developers or investors of some sort. They're mm-hmm. not just people who want to invest their money. They really do know this market and want to get in. And the idea was that they invest to try and learn about it and follow on how and we're doing risk things. Them rather, rather than commit 170 in their own project they they can become sort of economies of scale and, and throw it in amongst other people and presumably that also then elevates the development doesn't it because then you're not looking at one bedroom flats you're looking at multiple units or, or big yeah. properties or that you can put into a 10 bedroom hmo or something like that yeah absolutely it just means that we were able to really scale up quite quickly mm. what we were doing so i partnered with my with my business partner avi back in 2012 and we'd gone from being able to do well he was doing about five or six projects at a time. I was doing one or two at a time just Mm -hmm. because of constraints on equity. So you add all this additional equity in and we thought this is fantastic. We can really plan out this beautiful pipeline of projects over the next three or four years. Unfortunately, uh, finance and uh, planning and other constraints, There's rather sales, annoying things that get yeah, in the way. Exactly, these really important fundamentals get in the way. One mm-hmm. property was in planning for three years. Wow. One took uh, nearly 12 months to raise the development finance on. So there's been all sorts of roadblocks. Then there were, of course, the changes to Section 24. We had the changes to uh, capital gains tax. And then we've also had the, the B word, which we don't talk about, that's created this perfect <laughs> headwind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I guess with the, with the planning issues as well, if it's taking that long on one particular project, you've got the you're running the risk as well, aren't you? Whenever planning laws change or get amended, well, you go back to square one, don't you? And just revolving all the time. Absolutely, and we've got a perfect example of that right now. Is a, a project that thankfully we haven't crowdfunded, but mm. we got the planning through in December. We didn't get the finance through until just recently, and the the laws on. Uh, the the health and safety of the particular or the the regulations sorry the building regulations on that particular yeah. development have completely changed. Our plans are no longer compliant with building ranks, and because we have put a shovel in the ground, we now have to go and redo all Start of those again. plans for building well, ranks. Let's just talk about the downsides because there are inevitably downsides, and and everyone just you know a lot of people sit at home, they watch homes under the hammer for a couple of days, and they think oh, I could do that. <laughs> the reality being obviously completely different. They could in two thousand and twelve. Well, well. <laughs> So let's talk about it. So we've got 2012. Here we are seven years later, Nicole. Let's talk about the fundamental changes in the market, let alone the market changing. What what have you learned? You know, what scars have you learned along the way that can help other people and might encourage people to work more closely with you rather than risk those scars themselves? The crowdfunding that you've got to do might be a useful tool for them going forward, obviously. But what what you know, what what's been the biggest learning curves? 
The biggest learning curve for me is that markets don't always go up. And I should yeah. know that. I've lived through the Asian crisis, the <laughs> dot-com bubble, or the tech, when that burst back in 2000. I've lived through all of that, and I really should have known better. But I felt that there was such a strong fundamental support underneath the property market with the, the migration. No one expected there to be something like a Brexit that would come and sweep the, unknown the, the unknowns, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So that was a really big learning curve. The other one is that cash is everything, and you mm-hmm. have to be well-funded. If you're not, you will not survive exactly so that's really made the market the property development market probably the model's changed i'm guessing you wouldn't do anything that you do today that you did sit you probably couldn't do a lot of it but you approach every project differently no. Definitely. And the strategies have changed. And that's what I've been saying to some of the investors recently. They're saying, why aren't you selling these properties? Nothing is selling. And you and I can debate on Twitter all we like about <laughs> keep putting the market, the price down and it will sell. But there is no market for properties, I think, between about the two and five million mark. If you look at the statistics okay. on that band, there's I think nothing. This is a really interesting point, Nicole. Let's talk about this because I've been saying this for a while about the London market and you will get your estate agent and your vested interest talking it up. But the reality is on the ground and you're very much on the ground. Uh, it's not like that at all. And and stock is it's not shifting. Is, is, there, a, is there a disconnect between the, the vendor's expectations and the buyer's willingness to spend any money? Is the B word killing it? Is it stamp duty? Is there a lack of confidence overall? Are prices too high? Can you pinpoint it? It's all of those. Yeah. I would say that when markets are rising, there's and there's this uh, earnestness about getting on the, the property market or finding that perfect property because properties are turning over so quickly. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that now. There's no nothing to compel. If you want to go and no upsize, uh, up, upsize your house or downsize, there is nothing telling you you've got to go and do it this weekend because otherwise all those really lovely properties on right. The motivation is gone, hasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So, but people know that these properties are sitting on the market. I think it's over a year year now that really? we've got to in some parts in parts of London it's yeah. well over a year uh, but I think the average is around nine months at the moment that they're sitting on the market so why should you give up your weekend to go <laughs> house hunting this weekend when you know that that property is still going there to be on the market very few week. open days we notice very few. at the moment they're very well, that's, few that's the, where the revolving issue comes isn't it because as soon as the, the confidence levels start to drop like you say it just keeps on feeding in in that fashion doesn't it so I think it gets to a point of where it becomes secondary whereas it was completely a national obsession at one point generally even on like an individual level where like you say if people were just improving their property to sell on a move upwards themselves it's just kind of pulled that element out of it really in a way absolutely it's taken that out and i think that people are also not willing to compromise Mm -hmm. and when i was looking to buy my first flat in 2004 all the agents kept saying you have to compromise you have to compromise all my colleagues kept telling me that now people are not compromising they say nope it's a walk up i'm not walking up the stairs i want to lift you won't even get out of car that's right that's i want this and i want this and i want this and i'm not budging and that's what we're finding with the things but i'm sounding a little bit pessimistic and i don't (laughs) want to be pessimistic (laughs) so (laughs) i think that there are are bright sparks and glimmers of hope in the market. And definitely, I was talking to uh, Tony Pidgeley at Barclay Homes a few months ago. They're having a great time. And because they're so liquid and they spent the last few years just building up their cash reserves, they're able now to just come and cherry pick the blocks of land that they want and uh, they're in a great position. But this is this is David versus Goliath, isn't it? I mean, they've it had is. help to buy. Yes. And a lot of access to a lot of cash that maybe at your level you've not you, you you don't get that at all. So it's that's difficult. Have you seen a different change in the lending aspect of the market? Is is the is the are the funds still available? Have they dried up? Is the criteria harder? Are you managing to roll your credit over? Definitely harder. And so. 
Um, in previous years, we had access to high street lending at 3.25 above base. Mm -hmm. And we just knew we could count on that. We'd go and within six to eight weeks, maybe to push 16, we would have lending in place for pretty much every development we put towards uh, that particular bank. That has completely gone from really? us now. Yeah, mm -hmm. completely. I think we've now got one development project that's on a 3.25, which is fantastic. <laughs> so now we're having to look at what I would call the next tier of lenders. And, and fortunately for us, because of our, our reputation and the developments we do, we are able to, to go to those yeah. next tier. And one in particular, Oak North, have been brilliant. I think we're working with them on about four or five of our developments. Mind you, we've got 11 projects either on the market or in development right now, wow. which means that's about at least 250 flats that we're building out. So it's well? a lot. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of pressure there, isn't it? At the moment, I'm sleeping quite well because, <laughs> yeah, we're in, a, we're in a decent shape. I, our overall gearing across the whole portfolio, I just recalculated it last week and it's around 43%. So that's cool. that's, I'm comfortable that's good. with but that. But like 50% yeah. you're doing well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, some of the, we've now had to go to these other lenders and when we were buying these properties back in 2014-15, we weren't factoring in this additional cost on the interest so again the, the returns that we forecast have gone down somewhat and yeah we're just happy now to sort of get out of a project at 20 30 percent return which is still a decent return but we were forecasting so much more yeah yeah you've written a book as well then Nicole, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's called Bricking It. And it really, it is just as a result of people coming up to me at various events. As you know, there's so many property events every uh, every night across the UK. And people would come up to me when I spoke at these and just say, your story's really interesting. You should write a book about it. And so I thought, actually, I've got three weeks over Christmas where my kids and I are skiing. I'm going to sit and write a book. And I did. And in three weeks? Yeah, I wrote, wow. it in, I wrote it in 11 days, actually, when it was all plotted out. And what, is, is that, a, is that a, a guide? Is it an idiot's guide? Is it my story? This is what, what's, the, what's the premise of the book? It's broken up into two bits. And really, is it's my story at the beginning, and then which is just one or two chapters, which yeah. my kids said is the interesting bit. <laughs> the rest they said boring. So uh, for you. They're, very, they're very honest. <laughs> oh, they're so honest. Yeah, so the rest of it is on, it's kind of a how-to. It's a very broad brush look at the different strategies within property, very simplistically. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So when you started your business originally, what initial aims did you have at that point? Was it a simple case of that you just wanted to get involved with regards to either kind of generating a similar income to what you had originally in, in your employed roles previously or did you have at that point a vision that you wanted it to grow to, to how it's gone now at that point? Yeah, that's kind of changed as the time goes on. But when I first started, I just wanted to make a bit of money to supplement housekeeping money. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it was supposed to be. It was just something to keep me occupied while my kids were at school. Mm -hmm. And it grew so much more than that when I met my business partner and, and saw the scale of what this yeah. could. So then I worked my butt off. And then about a year and a half ago, I thought, this is just all too hard. <laughs> Why am I doing <laughs> this? So I scaled it all back. Mm -hmm. And now I uh, just spend a lot of time traveling and not too much time working. I, I work maybe two, three days a week and the rest of the time I really focused on uh, more lifestyle and other businesses. So you, you got the balance right by the sounds of it, yeah, which maybe I didn't did. have a couple of years back. No, definitely not. It was it was really challenging. I think mm. two summers ago, people are saying things are tough now. For us, I think it was tough two summers ago yeah. when things all just started to come and we had to really work hard to get our books in order. And now they are and we're in a position where we can... Uh, 
be one of those who can acquire sites when they're normalised in price. Okay, that's good. Fantastic. So, if someone wanted to get into property development today, what's your what, what's your soundbite for them? Apart from don't do it, maybe. Yeah, but don't what, do it. <laughs> or just do it. Just do it differently. What would you What would you say to them? Yeah, I'd be really selective about what you're doing. I would make sure that you get a lot of education. I'd probably look at getting professional education. And by that, I mean, it's not just uh, going out and, and signing up to a, a course, but actually mm-hmm. going and looking at some of the, the RICS courses, especially mm. if you're you're younger and wanting to get into property. Rick, the RICS do some incredible surveying courses that you can learn on the job. That, I think, is the best way to get in. Nothing, nothing is better than getting on-the-job education. Fantastic. But more broadly, if you are looking, then, yeah, dip your toe into some crowdfunding projects and really learn how the developers are doing it see how tough they are it's mm. it's a really tough industry mm-hmm. you probably need to write another book i would suggest to be interested in the before and after yeah i'm looking to write another book actually about i think that property developers and this is a bit of a tangent but property developers and professional gamblers have a similar mindset <laughs> and we always look we're always glass half full rather right. than half empty yeah, yeah. everything on red or everything on black exactly and we always think we do when we do our proposals to to our brokers it's always best medium and worst case yeah what actually happens is it all slides down and worse becomes your best yes. and, so, and we're really good at target. over presenting those sorts of things so it'd be really good to look at the psychology of that well actually, nicole that was really interesting thank you for coming in today and sort of sharing that with us if people need to get hold of you how can they find you on social media what's your you know what's your twitter handle your all LinkedIn? over social media yeah. at nicole bremner on twitter i try and stay away from there because people give me a hard time <laughs> well, that, well that'll change i'm sure, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure. <laughs> now you've met me exactly. yeah so and then on instagram at ns bremner and linkedin as well nicole bremner excellent well listen we always ask one question at the very end what's your football team nicole have you got one well my son just played in the national championships up at st george's park and came fifth wow. in the whole of the under 11 so i'd have to say his football team well, well i'll tell you what that's a flip. we've never had that one before have we we've that's had all the glory hunters going for man united but that's we're, we're having that one and well done good yeah. luck to him as well thank you that's Good. great fantastic thanks for coming in Nicole that's great um, so that's episode 33 Martin yeah it's gone quick isn't it it has indeed it has indeed um, if you'd like to come on the show yourself in the future or if you'd like to nominate a guest yourself as well you can contact us through our Twitter feed which is at the LM Experience and we'll be back with you shortly with further episodes thank you Nicole thank you Stu thank you thank you Thanks for listening, and please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party, and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it.